Hey everyone, my name is Mike Vaughn, and welcome to a new episode of Rotten Cinema, where myself and a very special guest talk about some really fun, uh, good, bad movies. Uh, so uh, again, I'm not alone. I have the very talented Stephen C. Miller, director of Margot, which is currently on Paramount Plus, and that movie uh, fucking rolls. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Everybody check it out. Awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This is cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, we're, of course, talking about, um, as you can see, I'm kind of in the festive mood. So we're going to talk some, like, uh, holiday horror. And uh, I think one of my favorite, um, maybe favorite franchises, um, or uh, certainly the weirdest franchise, horror franchises, like the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Um so obviously, you know, you have a, a big connection with that, and we'll we'll get into that um, definitely a little bit more later. But uh, what do you think of this series, like as a whole? Yeah, I mean, Silent Night, Deadly Night was def was my first introduction to Christmas horror. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I had watched that before I saw Black Christmas, um, and so I, I think the reason was because I, I was probably like eight at the time, you know, or nine. And uh, we were walking through the video store and that Silent Night, Deadly Night box cover grabbed my attention so heavily that I was like, wait a minute, there's like Santa's arm hanging out of the chimney with an axe. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things that I, I was just drawn to. So I was with my one of my older cousins at the time and he was like, you haven't seen this movie? And I was like, I don't even know what this is. So, you know, it was my first introduction to a rated R uh, Christmas horror movie with Silent Night, Deadly Night, and I'm, you know, sort of like floored by it. Um, so after that, it was sort of like, you know, every time there was another one, I had to check them out. But yeah, they, they're definitely, it's definitely a franchise that stood out to me as one of my first, you know, intros into the into the genre for Christmas horror. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I would say probably same here. Um, I, I was trying to think um, it was either that or Black Christmas, but it's certainly the one that's uh, it's certainly like my go-to like every year. And um, I kind of came late to the sequels. Like I had seen the, the um, part two, which is basically right. like most of one. And a <laughs> it's just like one. a montage of the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, last year I did a deep dive of like, um, I guess, um, well, I guess I, I did all the sequels. I did, uh two through five um and man those are some bonkers movies um the crazy thing is they continue they get more bonkers as you go uh which is you know surprising considering a lot of sequels seem to sort of fizzle out and i felt like the silent night deadly night franchise they keep getting more ridiculous um the third one was probably one of my more uh favorite of the ridiculous sequels um yeah the second one was one of the ones that i you know really just took away garbage day from because it was so crazy um <laughs> um yeah it's um yeah it's funny i like so i think my favorite sequel like and there's at, really there's not one that i super actively dislike i mean even part two you know it is at least kind of redeemable because it's just so um unhinged but part five yeah i mean it, it's so wacky no doubt yeah. 
um but like part five for me is like yeah <laughs> part five goes completely off the rails too it's just like ridiculous i think i think that and that's what the silent idelia night franchise to me is different than like say black christmas or anything like that it's at least the sequels the sequels aren't like black christmas for me i remember watching that being like this movie i felt dirty after watching that movie like i was like this movie is quite cr- crucial <laughs> right like and i think the first silent night deadly night tries to be in that vein where it, it tries very hard to be a shock value but the sequels tend to be in my mind are just more fun um than trying to be as hard-hitting as something like black christmas uh yeah exactly i i think um what's really interesting is like when um oh brian usna started um working on the series um pulling up my notes here i know he did part um he directed part four and maybe wrote part five. Yeah, I know he directed four. I didn't know he did five. He, well, I think, uh, let me just double check, but um, I know that he did, like, he wrote one of them. Um, he didn't direct it, but he, like, wrote it. I think, yeah, like, maybe, uh, let me see. Um, I just want to, like, double check. Uh, yeah, so... Um, it was co-written by Brian Usna, and it also it has effects by Screaming Mad George. So it very much has that um, early kind of empire feel, um, right? And uh, yeah, I, I mean, and gosh, uh, like I said, five is my favorite because, and, and it's it's kind of weird because this is like weirdly a year for like Pinocchio movies, um, right? Yeah, and two of them. Yeah, and uh, what's kind of kind of wild is like um, part five is kind of like a sort of Pinocchio slash maybe a little bit of like Shelley's Frankenstein sort right. of part in there. Um, and I I really like how um, this was fun rewatching this because I got uh, the Vestron um, Blu-ray, uh, which is really awesome, and uh, Yasha picked that up, but. Um, is that the three pack? Is that is that the one that came with three, four, and five? Yeah. Um, yeah. And now I feel like I'm on the video attic, but uh, it's awesome. <laughs> it's it's loaded with extras. Um, it's like hella cheap right now. Um, cheap and easy. That's me. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it really feels like you're kind of watching a nightmare. Like, and I know that's kind of maybe a little cliche to say but um i'm sure you can probably speak to this as as a film uh maker yourself but like it's very hard to like tap into that like it it feels just like you're watching someone's dream like it's so surreal at times where it's like it's just like a stream of consciousness it's not really yeah i i know exactly what you mean i mean it, it really is hard to tap into that even as a filmmaker um because that stream of consciousness, you're never really quite sure if that's coming across on screen uh, because you've watched it so many times. And I know that from just experience on some of my films that I've had even flashbacks in general that are trying to give that sort of feel. Um, and it's it's a difficult process to get right. And I think for me, part five almost feels like the whole movie feels like that. Um, it feels like it's just, you know, the, a conscious dream. Uh, and I think what they do with that 
to me, is some, there's some pretty wild filmmaking. It's a really kind of a throwback um, to some of the 90s filmmaking. I mean, I think, you know, for me, it's like people say 80s all the time, but that one felt like a 90s film to me. You know, it felt like, it felt very 90s. Yeah, and while we're on that subject, I, listen, don't get me wrong, I love 80s horror movies, but I feel like the 90s was a pretty rad time for horror movies. I feel like we... 90s was awesome. 90s was so sick. I mean, you got you got a ton of, I mean, a ton of Puppet Master movies came in in the 90s. And then obviously the big dogs like Scream, and I know what you did last summer. But I mean, the one that I think people look over a lot is Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And like Wes Craven's New Nightmare to me was quintessential, my like high school movie. Like I, I was in ninth grade, that movie hit me. And I was like, this is better than any nightmare film I've ever seen. You know what I mean? Like I was into that movie, like, and, and it's pre-Scream, right? It was doing like, you know, almost that sort of vibe before Scream, before he did it. And so, um, yeah, that movie to me gets very looked over um, as one of the ones that I think is crucial for the 90s. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, yeah, I definitely feel like New Nightmare uh, definitely doesn't get the props that it does. I mean, it's, it's not perfect, but it, it's such an interesting way to kind of deconstruct it. Like, uh, again, it would make a very good companion piece with Scream because it's sort of deconstructing it in a different way, but you can kind of see where he's playing with that idea. And then it's a little bit more refined when he teams up with Kevin Williamson. Um, yeah, he actually, I, I had a chance to sit with Wes and when they, I was up for Last House on the Left at one point. And so when I went in to pitch my take on Last House on the Left and I had to sit with Wes, I think we started talking more about like Nightmare on Elm Street films than, than I probably should have. I should have been pitching in the movie. But like, we were just like talking and just kept going. And then he, he made that comment. I mean, he said Nightmare was sort of, New Nightmare was sort of a, a awakening moment for him for Scream, where he sort of saw Scream while making that movie uh, and felt like he knew where he wanted to go after that. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, but you could, yeah, you could sort of see uh, that vibe there. Um, but yeah, he, he was... One of those one of those directors that just really understood the genre, understood the audience, and understood how the audience would react to the genre. So you know that's rare. Yeah, that's awesome. No, that's uh, very cool. You got to meet Wes Craven. He's he's one of those filmmakers that, gosh, I wish I would have got to uh, talk to. Uh, not even even just an interview, just like uh, hang out with him for a little bit. Um, yeah, super smart guy. Oh yeah, like. Uh, he was like a professor uh, before he was a filmmaker. Yeah, was... yeah, he was. I mean, he, and you can feel that when you're talking to him. He's just, he's a very intellectual, the way he speaks, the way he carries himself. I mean, the way he talks about movies, um, you know, you can tell that he he deep dives and he understood how to make those movies and to their core and what that does to an audience, even down to specific shot or lens choices. Like, you know, he, he gets that. So um, I like, I really dig that kind of filmmaking. Yeah, um... There's, yeah, gosh, I, it was interesting because I was talking about Scream with um, a friend of mine and I was like, I like, he was one of the first, if not only kind of film, like horror filmmakers that kind of tapped into this really weird, uncomfortable sort of family dynamic. Like he kind of tapped into that in, in such a powerful and interesting way. Like, like you think about 99% of his movies are about sort of the decay and, and dysfunctional family in some in yeah. some respect um 
But uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. Like, uh, that's kind of a shame that you didn't get to do uh, Last House. Uh, what, what Dude, are... they did that movie so good. They, that movie, they did that movie so well. I thought it's one of my favorite remakes. Um, you know, I thought they did such a great job with it. I mean, it was right on the heels of the Texas Chainsaw like remake, like right after that one came out, and then Hills Have Eyes. So there was a couple really great ones, and I thought that one matched well with those late, you know, two thousand, early two thousand remakes. I thought they did a really good job. Yeah, um, definitely great. I actually uh, recall seeing that one in the theater, and that was yeah. a damn good time with an audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. I mean, the theater we saw—I saw it at the Man's Chinese in LA, and uh, the th that theater was rocking. Like people were having so much fun in that movie. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen movies like that, like where the the, the audience is going so ape shit. Uh, I mean, it's rare, but it happens. Now, have you ever been to a screening of, of one of your movies and it's been like a really great crowd? Yeah, the Silent Night, for for real, the Silent Night screening, we did we did two test screenings for the movie before it did uh, a limited theatrical. Uh, but the both test screenings that I got to sit in the very back and I wasn't supposed to be there, but I like sat in the very back just to see, like people were having an absolute blast with the movie. Um and it did happen with Margot when we when we tested Margot and Margot, people were having a real blast. But Silent Night, for some reason, people were just, you know, hooting and hollering. And I was like, oh, OK, this is cool. Uh, people are enjoying and having a good time. And uh, so and then I got to sneak into a few screenings of it playing uh, around L.A. and then one in New York. And both times the, the audience was having a really good time. Uh, the only other time one of my movies I felt like that was a big one was when uh, I had a movie called The Aggression Scale that played at South by Southwest. And it was one of the midnight showings at South by Southwest. And that crowd was bananas. Um, they, they had such a blast with that movie. And so, yeah, it's really cool as a filmmaker to be able to sit with an audience like that. I mean, it, it really is one of the reasons why you make, in my opinion, why I make movies is I, I like the communal aspect of a, of a movie theater. And I like being in there with them when I'm showing it because I get the, reaction and I get in real time responses to what I think I did right or what I didn't make work at all so it's pretty cool yeah no that sounds awesome I mean I I, I imagine that's such a exhilarating feeling actually watching what you made and like putting it out there um I know yeah I've been really fortunate I've been really fortunate in these digital times that uh you know I've made 15 features and every single feature I've been able to see theatrically with an audience in some capacity um and so even margot like i said it did a few rounds of test screening so it played in some big theaters so it was before it went to paramount plus so uh it was like it was cool i've been very fortunate to be able to see those theatrically like that because i know it's different when you when you make uh when you're making movies for netflix and amazon and all that stuff they you don't always get that opportunity uh, yeah, and I could see like like Margot in particular being a lot of fun to watch with an audience because it is such a fun movie. Yeah, and and the and the test screenings we showed had zero VFX in it still, so it was like very raw uh, screenings, and people were just losing their minds on certain parts um, and having a lot of fun with it, even though it was just like blocks of you know very primitive VFX work happening. Um, but they, you know, people had a good time and it was really cool to see that. I mean, it, it, to be honest, it was very surprising that the movie didn't go theatrical because it was planned to go theatrical, um, almost the entire time until I, it was like a month before they decided that it wasn't going to go. And then I think they regretted it once Barbarian came out 
and Smile came out and these movies that are the same budget as Margot were just getting blowing up. And so, um, I, you know, I know I got a phone call that was like, we probably made a mistake. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. But um, yeah, it was, it was fun to see with an audience. Nice. Now, um, is it too soon to maybe uh, for fans that want to have it on home video? Is that anything that's... So I was told that it's not getting a physical release, which is bonkers. It's the first movie I've ever done that doesn't, will not get a physical Blu-ray. And I guess that doesn't mean it won't happen in the future, but like, as far as I know, because I'm pretty heavy on physical media, uh, as I can see you are, uh, you know, I'm pretty heavy as well. I mean, we can like probably turn my screen around over here and it's all over there. Uh, but yeah, but I, I was bummed because it's, I'm, I like to collect them um and so when i found out it, they were saying they don't think it's gonna go blu-ray or dvd it's a bummer um but i always keep pushing it so you know in another six months i'll push paramount but like, come on let's get let's get something out for halloween or let's let's try to do this so i'll push for it as much as i can because i think i you know most people like to have that physical copy yeah i feel like we should start a petition like just <laughs> get a shitload of signatures then you can show them we want it yeah uh, <laughs> yeah i think that would be cool let's start it up uh hell yeah um i still uh think about um poor richard and his sloppy browns um. <laughs> <laughs> richard's so great man like he's he's a character on the screen but he's also just a really big character a cool guy off the screen I and mean, we had some really great dinners we had some great times hanging out uh just as as friends and becoming friends um when you make a movie um, you know, not all the time do you get to become friends with the actors, but um, on Margot specifically, I made it a point to be very involved uh, with the cast um, and make sure they understood that I was, you know, willing to hang and willing to get down and dirty. If I was asking them to do something crazy, uh, I was willing to be in there with the camera myself uh, if I needed to be in the in the blood. And there's plenty of times where I was. So I think it was important for them to know that I was I was willing to get crazy with them. So, but yeah, Richard was a guy that. Um, I kind of look to on set often as sort of like a rock of like, hey, get the kids together, get them in order. You know what I mean? And and he was very good at sort of wrangling the group. And because uh, right. most of the movie, it's the group. Right. So it's it's they're not really split off that much. So um, a lot of the movie is them together. And that, that as a as an indie film, that's very difficult when you have six people in a room and you're trying to cover all six angles uh, and the time allotted. It's just it gets crazy. Yeah, I was going to say, it's really impressive how, you know, you have um, such a big cast, but you're able to just kind of seamlessly, you know, as you said, get them all together, get them on the same page, you know? Yeah, it's difficult. I think I think that kind of comes from, in general, like my movies that I make, it's, they're never given quite a lot of time. So I, but I think it comes to the point where I was an editor by background. I mean, I started out editing music videos and uh, even shooting them, but more editing and I was really into editing very early on. I thought that's really what I wanted to do was be full-time editor. Uh, it just so happened that, you know, I, I got out to LA and realized being an editor was fine, but wasn't going to also like initially pay my bills. And it was like, but I, I want to make a movie, and it, you know, so I, I decided to make my own, but, um, and it fell into place like that. But originally starting out as an editor, I think it really helps as a director to understand maybe I don't need a, B, and C, and I only need this, and that'll get the whole scene and tell the story, and it allows you know me to sort of cut the movie in my head as I'm shooting. Yeah, that no, that's really interesting. I mean, that's 
Uh, that's great because I'm sure that as you were saying, it, it helps you, you know, not have a lot of like fat on the, on the, the bone there. You can just, you know, get what you need, get it, get any. Well, I, I also learned very early on with dealing with studios, studio level movies, as far as like a lion's gate or like a paramount is like the least amount of stuff I can get, give them to cut the better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Like, like I, I try to shoot it to the point where if they lose something, it's a problem. Right. And so, cause I've been in, you know, my, one of my first or second films and sitting with Lionsgate and them watching it. And it was a very heavy fat director's cut. And then they just had notes galore. It was like, Oh my God, like how, you know, they're going <laughs> to cut the whole movie out. Yeah. So I really started to learn that like, okay, if I shoot really more precise and more uh, exact that uh, I'm going to get there and they're not going to have too much to say uh, because that's just going to be the movie. Um, but yeah, that's, it's all sort of planned a little bit. Nice. Now, um, I know I alluded to this earlier, but of course, you know, you directed and you mentioned a little bit already Silent Night, which is awesome. I was actually watching yeah. it again um, a couple days ago. Uh, it's kind of like I, I definitely put it in with my like must watch Christmas movies. Um, awesome. So um, how did that come about? Like, how did that project get off the ground? Well, so uh, I made my first movie in 2005 and it got picked up by the Weinsteins in 2007. So in 2007, I was sort of like a commodity. I, you know, I was kind of getting shipped around from like studio to studio. They, they were trying to put me on any remake that you could think of. It was like True of the Corn at one point. It was like uh, Motel Hell at one point for MGM. Um, and Silent Night, Deadly Night um, was a project that I really wanted. Um, and at the time... Uh, they were trying to get the rights issues settled in. And so um, me and a friend named Jared, Jared Rivet had put together a pitch to go in and pitch the movie. And then it sort of just fell apart. And then in 2010, it came back. And me and my friend named Evan Katz, uh, who is E.L. Katz, who uh, has directed some really cool movies uh, over the past couple of years. Um, but he, um, me and him went in with a pitch in 2010 and it kind of fizzled out and they couldn't figure out the rights and it went away. Uh, and then in 2012, I got a call from my buddy, Darren Bowsman, And Darren was like, uh, Darren went to the same school that I went to. And Darren was like, hey, man, look, I just did a movie with Richard Saperstein and they have the right. They finally got the rights for Silent Night, Deadly Night. And, you know, I can't do it. And, I'm, you know, I, they asked me to recommend someone. And I'm, of course, you are the first person. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I've been trying to get this movie for about like eight, you know, a couple of years. And so... Um, yeah, so I went in, talked to them. Uh, they were really excited about it. And uh, there was a script they already had from Jason Rothwell. And I thought the script was really down in my level of things that I thought was really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that started the process. That's awesome. And of course, you know, you have like the iconic Malcolm McDowell in it. Um, yeah. That uh, that must have been so awesome. Like, what was he like to, to direct? Well... First of all, Malcolm's awesome to direct, but like Malcolm wasn't. <laughs> so Malcolm was staying in the same hotel as me when I was in Winnipeg and I'm prepping the movie. And I just happened to see Malcolm McDowell sitting at breakfast of my hotel. And I went up to Malcolm and I said, Malcolm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm a filmmaker here. I'm making a movie. He's like, oh, I'm shooting a movie here as well. And I was like, great. I was like, why don't you just stay and be in my movie too? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, you know, 
You know. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Gave me this whole story about no one's really came up and just talked to him other than zombie he was like you know you got your you remind me of rob and like he was like so he was like uh, what's the movie i was like silent night deadly night and he goes oh i fucking love that movie and i was like all right well we're remaking it here and literally the next day his team contacted and were like he's in and so it was really just a random circumstance you know that he was just happened to be there um and not even really on the list because we didn't really think he was uh, gettable at that time uh and so yeah he he's one of those guys that just uh, as soon as he lands on set he commands the set he's very uh his presence is very felt and in a good way and he and everyone wants to sort of gravitate to malcolm and you sort of have to get everybody moving and keep them working because they'll talk to him but malcolm will just talk right like if you get malcolm going malcolm will talk and uh and that's what i love about him and we had some really great conversations i mean I could have sat there and listened to his Kubrick stories, you know, forever, but, but also his Halloween stories were great. And like, you know, just, just the, the, the idea that he loves the genre and he loves this sort of style of filmmaking. And this was very different for him. I was like, look, man, I'm, I'm asking you to be very zany here. Like I, I'm asking you to be kind of like, you know, almost a goofball, but think you're serious. You know, you have to take it very seriously, but the audience has to be like, is this guy mental? Like what's wrong with this guy? You know what I mean? Like what's happening? And like, so I think that, I think that he, he played that part really well. And I loved, I loved it where he, I loved what he did with it. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. And I mean, the restraint it would take to not just like, you know, see for me, I would be like, okay, uh, I have to direct him, but I also just want to talk about Caligula all day. <laughs> Um, yeah, Caligula. definitely he and, and that's the thing is he will talk to you about it like if you bring it up it's like half your half the day is gone like because it's just <laughs> like he'll just start going you're like no i'm sorry malcolm i gotta get you in there i gotta shoot he's like well one more story steven you know and like uh <laughs> but like he you know and that and that was that was really a blast to be on set with him and i think donald logue also was the same kind of temperament on set just real great and funny um and they got along really well that's awesome. Um, so I met him once uh, at a convention. It was actually to um, when the original, well, not original, but like Rob Zombie's first Halloween movie. Um, yeah. So they got the the whole cast together at Monster Mania Con. And um, it was awesome because like, you know, he's always a little like with fans. I, I heard that he's always a little like, I don't know, it takes a little while to to warm up. So the icebreaker for me was I had a Mad Magazine um, Clockwork Orange parody that I had nice. signed, and he fucking loved it. And then he, then you could like see he was like, "Oh man, that's so fucking cool! Like, where did you get this?" And then that was like <laughs> a nice kind of icebreaker. But yeah, uh, he seems awesome. So like, that's that's really cool. I think for guys like that, they they just genuinely want to know that. I think it they they are guarded. Um, even as a director, when I'm dealing with bigger actors, I mean, of course, they're always guarded at first uh, because they really want to know that you understand the material 
you understand what they are all about, right? And it's not just a superficial sort of, uh, you're great, I've seen you in a ton of movies, right? No, it's like, you sort of get what their characters are or things like that. Like you get that magazine and, and you really, it's like not something that's very typical. Uh, and I think that's sort of what I've noticed about movie stars in general when I'm dealing with them is, you know, and talking to them, I'm not really talking to them about the movie. I don't really talk to them about, this is how I think you should be or your character. I don't get into that nonsense. When I first talked to an actor, like when I first talked to an actor, we talked about movies. We talked about different life stuff, right? Like I don't really discuss like what we're going to do until they get to know me and we know each other. And then then the movie sort of falls into place and we started talking about how to make the movie. But um, yeah, I try to find something personal always at first. Yeah. And that's, and that's really smart because, you know, again, you're like, you know, you, you have to build and establish that kind of rapport and trust and um i feel like that makes for a really good like working relationship um would you say that like you know some of your bigger actors you use uh you've definitely like kind of learned from from them as far as like um like their process and then like reverse engineer that to like how you direct them totally yeah i mean when you're dealing with guys like bruce willis or like uh you know nick cage who i've directed or stallone like yeah i mean those guys especially someone like stallone that who's also directed, who's, you know, you just, you watch that guy um, and you learn from him and like, you know, but at the same time, you know, um, a lot of those guys, like what I like to do on their first day, their first actual take, I only do one take. I do, they let them do it and I go moving on. And I, and it really sort of sets the tone for them. Like right away, they're like, Oh shit, like Steven's <laughs> not going to sit here and I better get it right. I better like be on it because he's going to get it right off the bat. Right. Um, and, and I think that's sort of like I sort of try to set the tone of my presence, but then I kind of lean back and let them do their process. And it's really fun to watch and 100 percent reverse engineering it, because then I can see, OK, this the way I talked to him didn't work. But now I know I can talk to this guy a different way. So there's there's all different kinds of things you take away from these guys. Yeah, no, that's that's such an like that's such a great actually uh, like technique. Um to again sort of establish that you're not like messing around but then you know loosen up a little bit to give them a little bit more well you know there you gotta remember man they've been making movies for like 30 plus years right they've been on every movie set you can possibly imagine you're no different um than whatever they've ever seen um but what they do know is is that they don't want to sit there with a director that doesn't know what he wants yeah or doesn't know what he's doing right and they they don't want to hear you explain the scene they don't want to hear that they, they want to know you understand the movie, you understand that they're going to do their job. And that's what usually that first take rule is for me. It's like, they get right away that I'm not wavering. I get it. You did a great job. You're you. I'm moving on. Uh, yeah, of course, like the next couple of th scenes we do, we can do more than one take, of course. But like very upfront, I try to make it very known that like, I know what I want uh, and we're moving on. Um, even, you know, what's fun is like uh, someone like John Cusack, who I always heard, you know, stories that John wasn't fun uh, or was difficult. Um, and for me, you know, I kind of did a little bit of deep dive on John and realized that, you know, John always wears black. That's like his thing. Um, and the first day I met John, I made sure I wore all black. Um, and I showed up in his trailer and, uh, he was like, yo, he looked at me and he's like, dude, we're look just like it. We look like each other. <laughs> and the ice was broken like that. Right. And then from that moment on me and John had a, we had a great time, you know, and it was, it was amazing. It was fun. Um, so there's little things that I try to do like that, like I said, that are just, you know, 
subconscious things to let them know that I'm on the same level or I get it or like, you know, that kind of thing. Nice. Um, now, like, uh, it's kind of interesting because I've noticed in the last couple of years that like Silent Night has really found this uh, really awesome cult following. So what's that been like? Um, it, it's been unreal. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, when a movie comes out, you're like, this is great. Uh, but a lot of the times that's it. It's like, it gets, it's like three or four months of, of notoriety and people enjoy it. And then it kind of goes away. Um, I've only had a couple of movies that really stick around and, and get repeat playability or I hear about them quite frequently, but Silent Night just in the past, I don't know, five years has really started to take off on, on its own sort of trajectory of being a Christmas tradition um, with horror fans. And so that's been really awesome because I got to be honest, I, I stepped out of the horror genre for a while um, and, and moved into action. And so I kind of felt like maybe the horror community felt like I, I, I dissed them a little bit and like, you know, it wasn't maybe in my corner anymore. Um, and so it's been really cool to see Silent Night um, pick back some steam and, and really start to become people's must watches on, uh, on around the holidays. Uh, yeah, definitely. It was interesting. Um, right before jumping on, I had a friend who was like a big horror fan and he like shared his stack of, of like holiday horror movies and yours was in there. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. So fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, what I like about, uh, a lot of your movies is you, you have this great sense of like dark humor that I think helps it kind of, um, I mean, uh, especially Silent Night. I mean, like from from Jump, you kind of get that tone of like, uh, okay, I know that this is going to be <laughs> like cheesy fun, but you're like in on the joke, you know? It's I'm totally, totally, yeah. I I think because I grew up like very much into popcorn movies, right? Like I I like going to the movie theater. I like the popcorn films. I love indie films. I, I love when they get very dark and serious. I love that. But as as a viewer, I more enjoyed things that sort of ride, rode the line of being completely nasty, completely crazy, but at the same time, they would throw in things that like are very funny. And you're just like, okay, this is ridiculous. Um, and I think that's just sort of the kind of horror I lean into more. Um, and I think that's sort of like the Return of the Living Dead type stuff, like in the in the mid '80s, that started hitting that really well. That stride of those kind of movies, um, and those are the kind of movies that really stuck out to me, like the Frighteners, uh, you know, stuff like that. That like I was like, okay, like you know, these guys are even to me, Evil Dead, the Evil Dead movies have that same sort of dark humor and in, in, in respect going on sometimes. So um, I enjoy those kind of movies. Uh, it's difficult for me to make uh, movies that. I, that people can't stomach to watch. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I, I want them to be enjoying themselves, even though there's some pretty gnarly kills. I think the kills are gnarly, but I think they're like cheer kill kind of moments. Like it's like, <laughs> yeah, they get it. It's not like, oh my God, why? You know, we're not churning the stomach. You know, it's just more like, yeah, they deserve it. We need that, right? And so um, that's sort of my style, I think for sure. I, I'm definitely not the uh, go for hardcore violence for violence sake uh it's much more kind of geared towards the story yeah um like it was interesting um re-watching it uh, a couple nights ago in preparation for this i was like wow he like uh full-on kills a kid in this in the first like <laughs> was it 15 minutes or so 15 um, minutes yeah <laughs> but again 
a brat i didn't yeah. feel like super super bad about it yeah exactly i know it's and it's pretty bad when you're like when you don't feel bad about it you're like oh man we should be feeling pretty awful about this situation and i think that's what got me on one of the first test screenings when that kill happened when i heard someone go hell yeah and i was like oh shit <laughs> like awesome. they're really digging this so yeah um now so you're uh, a parent now i'm kind of curious um obviously they know you make movies um yeah have they seen any of your horror movies yet or is it too too early the yeah. only the only one horror film they've seen of mine is a little one i did called under the bed and and it's it's a monster movie but it really does deal with more family dynamics and kids and like it's a little bit of maybe like gremlins-esque horror um where you know maybe back in the day gremlins was pg and now it's not you know what i mean um but like uh they, they've seen that one now anything beyond that my daughter who's gonna be 13 like in next year she's in that ballpark now where she's like dad you know i want to see silent night i want to see you know i want to see some of this i want to see Margot. she really wanted to see Margot. like Margot was like up there for her and because of the actors she knew she knew all of them um and so she was like i really love these actors and I want to watch it. So I think it, it's to that point where she's probably going to be watching them in the next year for sure. Uh, and really, it's not even like, I'm like, no, you can't do it. Like, it's just like, it's difficult when you're like, uh, you got to start to ride that line when you're a parent. It's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I think, uh, I don't know about you, but I think I probably watched a bunch of horror movies that I shouldn't have pretty young. Totally. And, and, and to be honest, like, like I kind of leave that to her friends. <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I kind of leave it up to her, like her her cousin or her friend, or like, you know, they give her they they slip her like the Evil Dead, and you're like, oh shit! Like that's what happened to me. You know, I wasn't I wasn't expecting it. It was like I just happened to have older cousins and friends whose parents were like didn't really care what they were doing, and they were showing me movies, and I was like, this is awesome. Why have I never seen any of this? Now I would go home and be like dad can i rent this when i was like hell no you can't rent that what are you talking about <laughs> you know what i mean so uh you know it's kind of funny but yeah you know i you're right we definitely probably we definitely were watching things we probably shouldn't have yeah i vividly recall my older sister i don't know how she got a hold of it but a vhs of the original child's play oh yeah and crazy uh, yeah so how old were yeah. you when you saw that that's got to be like you're just like oh shit gosh i was probably six or seven <laughs> yeah young. yeah I, I was the one of the first ones i can remember being put on for me was silver bullet uh and i was probably like six maybe something like that and i remember silver bullet and i just was like what the fuck like and it was werewolves i was like this is banana you know um and so yeah it's just you know you can always remember those first ones but I, I, there was a point or my dad at one point, I think I was like, you know, a little older. And he was finally like, all right, let's watch The Exorcist. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's watch The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, uh, having kids makes things a little different. I mean, it, it does also in, in sort of like change on how I, I approach certain things in general, too. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. No, that yeah, that is interesting, because actually my follow up was you know, having kids, does that change your sensibilities as far as like the horror movies you make or just, just films in general? Yeah, I think it, you know, it changes like a little bit of, to me, I think the only thing it really changes, and, and maybe that's just in, in general, just getting older, is just the nudity factor. Like, mm -hmm. like I didn't really mind shooting nudity. Like it doesn't really bother me. 
but as I've gotten a little older and then having kids, I feel like, well, I do want my kids to watch this movie. I can be gross, but like the nudity factor of it is like, I don't know if I need it. I don't want to think, you know, especially with my daughter, I don't want her to think her dad is like, you know, uh, being exploitative. You know, I just want I just want her to, I just want her to feel like, you know, dad respects uh, women and that kind of thing too. So it sort of changed a little bit um, with that respect. Um, but for as far as the horror goes, I don't think, you know, the kill level, I think is all the same. I'm doing a werewolf movie right now um, with Frank Grillo and my daughter is a werewolf in the movie. Um, oh, nice. And she like absolutely loved it. And there's some, you know, this is graphic. And so uh, it's pretty cool. Oh, that's great. Um, so, um, you know, uh, have you recently watched Silent Night? And, and, and if so, what do you think of it uh, looking back? I actually just watched it for the first time last week or the week before, and I hadn't watched it since 2012 or 13 when it came out. And we watched, I did a couple rounds of screenings and some tour screenings with it in that year. Um, but then I haven't, hadn't seen it. And, you know, watching it again, I, I was really surprised how well it held up. Um, I thought it held up really well. I thought the colors still work really well. Joe White, who was the DP, shot a beautiful movie. Um, I like to tell everybody it's fun because we had to come up with a scheme because the snow ran out as soon as we started shooting, it stopped snowing. And so if you, when you watch the movie, if you really notice a lot of my angles are low angle. So it's always looking up at the characters because there's no snow on the ground. I didn't want to show the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always was looking up because the trees looked right. The sky looked right and we could have flurries, but it just wasn't on the ground sticking. So um you know i i actually when i watch it now it's it feels like a really cool motif uh through the movie and i also think jamie king's performance is really spot on i think she nailed it she is a is a rad final girl um and she uh she really gave it gave it her all so it, yeah i i really enjoyed it though just watching it back nice yeah it, it is a, a fun movie like i said it's definitely in my like must watch um for anybody that wants to see it, uh, it is currently on Shutter, and uh, drop everything you're doing, check <laughs> it out. Um, but um, yeah, so this has been a really cool year for you know holiday horror movies, um, Violent Night, uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas, and yeah. um, the Mean One. Have you seen any of those? And if so, what do you? Think? I saw Violent Night last night. I really love Violent Night. I thought that movie was awesome. I like Joe Bagos a lot. So Christmas, Bloody Christmas, I saw, I went and saw in the theater specifically for Joe. Uh, I like his movies. Um, I, I think he has a very distinct storytelling vibe with every single one of his movies. When I put it on, I know it's a Joe Bagos movie. And so like, I, I like that about him. And I thought Christmas, Bloody Christmas was everything you could want with a robotic killer Santa. Um, you know, and so like, you know, I think he did a fantastic job with that movie. Yeah, uh, I loved it. I got to um, interview him, which was so cool because I'm such a big fan. Uh, Bliss was one of my all-time favorites of that. Of Bliss is great. Yeah. Um, VFW, I like a lot. Yeah, and like, you know, he, 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 like I said, he just has a very distinct style. You know it's his movies as soon as you put it on. Um, and he's not scared. He's not scared to put whatever he wants to put on screen. And I, I like that sort of balls, ballsiness. Um, would, would you, uh, ever work with him? Like, would you ever, like both collab on something? Yeah. I like, I like Joe. I, and I, and I like his, uh, his editor a lot. Uh, and like, I like, I like that their whole sort of group. Um, and yeah, of course, if, if they were all 
doing something that they felt like I would be good for 100%. I would work with those guys. That, that would be awesome. I would love to see like a horror anthology with like some amazing, like horror directors like you, Joe, um, like Josh Rubin's another one that I really love. Yeah. I like um, Josh too. But uh, yeah, no, um, I haven't seen Violent Night yet. Shame on me. I need to get, I want to, I've been holding off because I've, I've been wanting to like, uh, find some time to like, you know, watch it in the theater, like on the yeah. big screen. Um, but uh, yeah. It's like, a fun movie. It's it's fun. It, I mean, it's it's pretty hilarious at times too. So, I mean, it, it's a, I, I thought it was really well done. Um, definitely. Like I, um, I definitely like David Harbour. I like that concept. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like um it's definitely awesome to talk like silent night like i said it's it's a banger it, it's really fantastic um yeah so like uh just kind of wrapping up like what's your like go-to like horror christmas movie is it silent night deadly night or silent night it is but really you know to be honest it's christmas evil uh christmas evil yes. is one that i'll pick up just randomly and it's it's usually my my christmas eve after the kids have gone to bed and it's me and a bottle of Jack and it's like, I watch Christmas evil and Christmas evil for me was like a movie that I don't, I don't know why it hits me hard. It just hits me. And I like, and I, I just really like the movie. Uh, I really like what they did with it. It just, it doesn't feel like a typical slasher film um, at all. Um, and it feels a little more methodical and I, I, I like it. Oh yeah. I love it. It's um I mean, if I was describing it to somebody that's never seen it, I would say it's like Taxi Driver. Yeah. Meets, uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas and you smash those things together. And you're exactly right. It, it has that very it has that vibe where you just sort of feel like you're with this character and watching them unravel. Um, and, and there's something about that that like, you know, that, that was one that I was searching for before Silent Night, which was is just Christmas Evil is is that one ready to be remade i know i was looking for it um but yeah it's a it's a really fun movie um yeah i, I again i love how i think it's one of the only like christmas horror movies that really kind of nails that sort of isolation and seasonal depression and just uh alienation that a lot of people i feel like uh unfortunately feel at this time of year um yeah you're right I and mean, it's a real thing man you know and it's one of those things that you have to really think about when you're going through this time of year too is just to sort of remember there are people out there that are having a really hard time uh and i think that movie taps into that heavily uh yeah and i love that the abusive mom is the uh wholesome mom on uh home improvement yeah that's awesome <laughs> um yeah that one i i watched the other day while i was wrapping gifts that's kind of like my my go-to while i do that nice um but um i think uh we'll probably wrap it there but um man it's been so awesome talking to you uh again uh people should check out silent night on shutter um i highly recommend shutter it's not sponsoring this episode but god damn it i love them so <laughs> um and uh margot is on paramount plus and so you can watch that if you have that um and it's also like on vod so you can like pretty much rent it anywhere that's right 
Awesome. And I highly recommend you all do that because it's great. Um, and we're going to demand a Blu-ray, a DVD, <laughs> uh, 4K. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Set it up. So, hell yeah. Um, well, hey, thanks again um, for taking the time to uh, chat with me about Silent Night, Deadly Night, about your Silent Night, which is awesome, and uh, going on some tangents with me. So, No problem, man. I really had fun, Mike. Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah.